on today's show, I am talking a crossover with Ryland Stiles, host of Locked on Royals, about Dayton Moore, the new senior advisor in the Rangers front office. All that and more on this episode of Locked on Rangers. Let's get into it. You are Locked on Rangers, your daily Texas Rangers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are locked on to the Texas Rangers and Kansas City Royals. I'm Bryce Patrick, host of the Locked On Rangers podcast, joined today by Ryland Styles. We're going to talk about the Rangers' new and the Royals' old front office person who is the old guy, not quite in charge, but just the old guy in the room. Ryland, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How are you doing, Bryce? Oh, I am doing splendiferous and you know uh if i was a, a betting man i'd say we we'd get we get to a lot of uh i would bet we'd we'd have a lot of things to say on date and more speaking of betting today's episode is brought to you by bet online bet online has you covered this season with more props odds and lines than ever before bet online it's where the game starts so i picked your brain a little bit uh i used you as a kind of a cheat sheet a crib sheet um just a notes list that you gave me when the rangers did make the move to hire Dayton Moore, the former Royals GM, as a senior advisor, I believe is the official term that he is is in that role with the Rangers. He is the GM who signed Chris Young to his final major league deal and gave him a chance to win a ring. And I believe he, he did win a ring on that team, right? Yes. So he brought in old, old buddy Bochi. He also, um, well, there were some some other options. This was kind of the role that John Daniels, former Rangers GM, was going to settle into. Anyway, he now has that exact role with the Tampa Bay Rays um, because they know talent in the front office when they see it. And unlike Rangers ownership, who decided, let's fire this guy and have no backup plan, but still keep his, you know, hand-picked uh, predecessor. When there was another guy right there that I wanted the Rangers to hire in James Click, the former Astros GM, who, you know, could have joined the Rangers front office, provided some of that same, you know, guy who had run a team, uh, that old, like, you know, veteran hand, and also, you know, knew how to, you know, run a winning team as opposed to, you know, kind of stumble into uh, a two year run and then be terrible all around that. But, you know, the Rangers have Dayton Moore, and I, I'm curious as to your unfiltered thoughts on the Rangers hiring of him, not just his tenure with Kansas City, but what do you think the Rangers are getting in this guy? It's interesting. Uh, I, I think that they're going to get a mentor for Chris Young, for better or worse. My my worry, if I was a Rangers fan, would be how awkward is it for Chris Young? Uh, as you mentioned, this is this is a guy that had... Uh, Dayton Moore take a shot on him in 2015, uh, which of course was allowing Krishan to be on the team that went to the World Series and won the World Series in 2015 and allowed him to be a big part of it uh, whenever I'm not sure how many other organizations would have had uh, uh, Chris Young be a huge part of of their roster at that time. Uh, But he did really well for Kansas City and had a three-year array that year and was probably the best year of his career. I mean, um, probably not statistically, but uh, the, the best year of his career statistically if, uh, on a bigger sample size. The only years better than that 
were years in which she only pitched 20 innings in a season. So that doesn't really count all that much. Uh, so it was the best year of his career, both personally and as a team getting a World Series ring. Uh, he also has an all-star appearance um, in 2007, which he might consider a better year. But nonetheless, uh, for, for Chris Young, how awkward is it that this guy that employed you is now working under you and you know he's won a World Series, he constructed a World Series team that you were a part of, uh, how do you tell him no if you don't agree with him on a personnel decision? Uh, but all in all, it could work out. It could not. That's kind of how everything works. But my biggest concern would be just that of how they manage their egos and how they manage um, just the the dynamic of flipping roles, really. It used to be Chris under Dayton. Now it's Dayton under Chris. And for, for me, my biggest thing with him you know, overall is just that I don't think Dayton Moore is a very good baseball executive. <laughs> That's totally fair. And as as for your point about, you know, switching roles, well, I mean, he already did that first with, with Bruce Bochy. I mean, Bruce Bochy was his skipper, and, you know, Bochy talked a little bit when he was leaving San Francisco that, like, it's less fun being a manager now because there is more front office input. And, uh, well, I, I think that's as it should be. Like, the, the front office has a little bit more data and, and numbers and analytics to, you know, make those decisions. But, you know, he feels comfortable doing that with, with Bochy, who I think is more respected in the, his position than Dayton Moore. And, you know, he's in a well, a bigger role as manager as opposed to, you know, just kind of old head who's around to provide uh, wise counsel and uh, talk to people if they don't know who Chris Young is, I guess. <laughs> yeah, th- th- that could be a, a, a great line of work for him. Yeah, and yeah, it just, it, it might be fine. It might be fine, but I mean, one thing that you did mention is that he's able to build a bullpen very well. That is, you know, for all of his faults, which I think you you know and agree that there are many, um, that is something that he has done well. And the Raiders had a, a decent bullpen this year, but what, what were some of the things that he did to build the elite bullpen that, you know, brought Kansas City to back-to-back World Series? I think it was just the, the fact of trying guys in different spots helped a lot and not giving up on players. Like, you think about... One example being Luke Hochaver. Like Luke Hochaver was supposed to be this ace, this this star that the Royals had not seen in generations upon generations. Uh, he was the the um, first overall pick for Kansas City uh, in the draft. They, they, they took him one one in two thousand six. We all know who else was in that two thousand six draft and how many I, other great I, players there were. I actually actually don't. Oh, oh, you don't know who was in the 2006 draft? It, was, it wasn't Mike Trout, so... <laughs> no, it was not Mike Trout. Uh, if It was it was uh, quite the other future Hall of Famer. That I'm not going to say because you're going to make me uh, cry if I do say it. So, uh, okay. But Luke Kochaver was in the 2006 draft, draft, and he was taking number, taking number one overall ahead of the names, final say them, Evan Longoria, Hall, oh. you know, Hall of Famer, Clayton Kershaw, who, who was the pitcher that everyone of course, would have loved in Kansas City. Uh, I hate to even say that because he might be a Ranger now. Dayton Moore might actually get Clayton Kershaw now and do the right thing. Uh, Tim Lincecum, Max Scherzer. Like, they took Luke Hochaver over all of these names that, that we're listing off here. Ooh. And most of you listening to this podcast has never heard the name Luke Hochaver before. I, I can't. I honestly had to go look him up 
because I was not familiar with his work. <laughs> yeah, and and that was just in the first round of guys that uh, the, that the Royals passed on to uh, to draft Luke Hochaver. And so I say that to say this: Luke Hochaver obviously did not pan out. He was a god awful starter. He was absolutely terrible. Uh, his first few years in the big leagues, it, it just was not working. And instead of getting frustrated and just saying, oh my gosh, like this is a disaster. We spent the first overall pick on this guy and he's terrible out of the University of Tennessee. They put him in the bullpen. And they didn't try him as a closer. They tried him as a, as a fireman. Like, can, can you just give me three outs whenever the game gets in a bind? Or, or one out, you know, back then, because there wasn't the three pitcher min, three batter minimum rule, whenever we need a specialist. And he did that and executed that at a very high level. And so now you've added one piece to your bullpen. Well, if you do that with two or three failed starters, now you've added two or three pieces to a bullpen. Now you go acquire an actual bullpen arm, that's four, and now you see how you're building up depth in the bullpen. So it's just finding unique ways to to get guys get guys kind of in the right spot. And you look at how he, how he just manages people. I think they did a lot to do with just kind of how the Royals use, say, Kevin Herrera in a more of a setup role than in a true closer role. They knew that you could just blow past guys in the eighth inning. Ninth inning, you need Wade Davis. You need somebody like uh, Greg Holland to put it all together. But even uh, dating back further, like you know, and, and more recently, uh, the Royals still, even as bad as they've been, they've had good bullpen arms even this year. Scott Barlow was good. Josh Stalmont was good. Like He is just has a knack for finding bullpen talent. Well, that is always something that good teams need, and I'm hoping the Rangers can be a good team. Coming up, we're going to get to a little bit more about where these two teams differentiate a little bit at those 2015 teams for both of organizations and how I think the 2015 Rangers were actually better than the team that won the World Series that year. But first, this episode is brought to you by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there from football to basketball to soccer and esports. We've got it all at BetOnline.net. What are some things that you would bet on uh, Ryland is also the host of Locked On Oklahoma City Thunder. What what would be a a smart bet for someone who wanted to bet on the Thunder? I would bet on SGA to make his first All Star game. Ooh, that would be a great bet. He is having a fantastic season. You know, they're always betonline.net is the always the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Because Bet Online, it's where the game starts. Now we are here with Rylan Stiles, host of Locked On Royals, talking about these two different teams. In 2015, was uh, I don't know if that was it might might have been in the top about top five ish Rangers teams. I think for me, it's probably to, somewhere in those 2010 to 2012. All of those are the top three, and then 15 and 16 is kind of where I go back and forth. I think 15 might be the uh, the fifth best team that this Rangers team has had. Maybe 14 was better. I, or 13 was better. I don't know. Beside the point. But the Royals won the 2015 World Series. They had success when they made it to the postseason, like the Rangers, who their first two postseason appearances, well, at least under the, the GM that they had, I think both of them hired their GMs that you know lasted until this year in 2006, if I remember that correctly. And both the first time those two went to the World Series, it was back-to-back years to the World Series. Now... Um, in my alternate mind history, the Rangers did win their second one, um, the, the second trip in 2011, but uh, the rest of the people remember it differently. 
and that's fine. They're entitled to do so for my own mental health. I kind of uh, remember it that way. But that 2015 Royals team, that it's just, I look at this roster and one word comes to mind. It's just fraud. Just fraudulent. Absolutely fraudulent. How in the world did this team win a World Series? I don't understand, man. I don't understand. How? Yeah, so, uh, look, first of all, they had the best bullpen we've ever seen put together. Better than that fraudulent Cincinnati Reds bullpen. Uh, so that's clear-cut number one. Like, they, they had the best bullpen ever uh, in 2014, 2015. Uh, that, so clear in a way. Somehow they got Eric Hosmer to play well. Uh, somehow uh, they, they got that to have happen. And then Salvador Perez was awesome. Lorenzo Cain was awesome. Mike Moustakis got sent down and got recalled and then played well. And then... A dude who was, for the majority of his career, the worst hitter in all of baseball, and you know, in every single category, Aziz Escobar, just couldn't stop hitting in the postseason. So that was a huge hit help. And then Kendrick Morales, like Kendrick Morales, was incredible, and that was like the one shrewd move Dayton Moore ever made. And when he made it, it got the team better. He went off and said, "You know what? Billy Butler's been here forever. He's been here since the beginning. He's been a fan favorite. He has the barbecue sauce. He has the merchandise. He has the jersey sales." But he's just not good enough. So in 2014, off, you know, after the 2014 season, they shipped him off, got got rid of him, brought in Kendrick Morales uh, to replace him at DH. And Kendrick Morales was a much better player in 2015. And without Kendrick Morales, you do not win that World Series. And so it's like, why didn't you do more shrewd moves like this? Because it created a World Series winner. And then training for Ben Zobrist was awesome. Ben Zobrist was was arguably the best player in, you know in the playoffs. But of course, Salvador Perez deserved the uh, World Series MVP. But this was just a team besides the historic bullpen that did everything well, did did everything well and was an elite fielding team and was an elite uh, base running team and just manufactured runs. This was the last great team to watch. I'll say it. And I, and I don't say that, I don't say that as a biased Royals fan. I say that as a baseball fan, this team was not just a sit on your hands and wait for a home run. It, it is so boring to watch modern baseball. And I hope that being the shift Gets us back to real you, baseball. You've because been watching Kansas City Royals baseball, and that that's just bad baseball. All right, <laughs> look, it, it is. It's so boring watching real baseball now because look, all you do is sit there and you wait for nine innings and say, okay, when is the home run going to come? Okay, there's the home run. All right, let's turn it off. Ball game's over. That's all you're doing nowadays. But back then, the Royals would go station to station. They would go first to third. Lorenzo Cain would score first to home in in the rain after a rain delay in Kauffman Stadium in game six against the Toronto Blue Jays. Like, it was actual baseball being played by Kansas City. That's how they won. They, they played team baseball, and it was the last great vintage team, and I'm not sure we're ever going to see one ever again. I hope that we do, but that's kind of how they won the World Series and how they, and how they did it. I will say, though, after saying all that uh, glowingly for the Royals, these two Royals teams are the exact reason why I cope so much about teams not trying to win in baseball. I get it in basketball. I get it in football. In baseball, the sport is so fluky. It's so random that any team that gets in, if you put last year's Pirates team in the playoffs, they have a shot to win the World Series because it is just stupid. Like the Royals in 2014, they should have lost that wildcard game three different times in the course of that game. They didn't lose it, though. None of the three times. They went on to somehow sweep everyone else on their way to the World Series and fall to the Giants in Game 7, one of the the Giants being one of the most dominant uh, dynasties we've ever seen uh, in our lifetime, you and me, Bryce. And so 
in 2015, the Royals come out and they should have lost to the Astros. The Astros had them on the ropes. The Astros should have knocked them out and it created the Astros into these just cheaters because they couldn't help themselves. They were just festering after blowing this lead to the Royals. They had everything in front of them and yet the Royals came back and beat the Astros. Should have lost there. They should have got blown out by the Blue Jays. Didn't happen. They should have lost to the Mets. They won that Mets series in, in five games and the Royals still should have lost because, number one, the Mets blew game one. And then number two, Lucas Duda can't throw first to home. If Lucas Duda throws first to home as a professional baseball player and gets Eric Cosmer at the plate, that kills all momentum. The, 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 the Mets win game five, and then who knows what happens in game six and seven. So, like, the, the, the Royals are living, breathing proof that you don't have to be the Dodgers. You don't have to be the Astros. You just need to get in. Just get in somehow. And then you can just surprise the team in four games. Yeah, and the Rangers have the manager who, like, I feel like – Managers in in this day and age, their influence is a lot of times over exaggerated. Like especially with how you know front officers are kind of making a lot of those decisions. But in in the postseason, that's where the managers really you know make their name, make their money, and that's why the Rangers they need to get into the postseason. I don't care how they do it. You don't have to win your division. You're not going to. The Astros are going to be better than you unless you you know spend Mets level money and also make a couple trades like you're not going to win that division and that's fine that's fine you don't have to remember those times when you won the division and you didn't win the world series yeah you did that four times i would gladly take a wild card round spot a third wild card even don't don't care don't care just get into that freaking postseason and let the fluky things happen i mean that 2015 rangers team the 2016 team was better but like it was composed of you know colby lewis who was great in the playoffs martin Perez was still there actually i think he was hurt towards the end of the season but the rangers brought on cole hamels at a trade at the deadline i mean the rest of their their offense was basically it was mitch borland having a career year ruben odor one of his few good years and adrian beltre also, Prince Fielder was present, as was Shinsu Chu. And the rest of it was just not a whole lot going. But the Rangers made that trade. They fended off basically the exact same core that the Astros have had for the last, you know, five, whatever, six straight ALCSs that they've made. And the Rangers kept them from the playoffs or from the winning the division that year and the year after that, which is just absolutely hilarious. The Rangers didn't do anything with it. I wish they did. Um, I think they had some really good teams there that could have gone somewhere in the playoffs, but they did that. And I think, I don't even know where I was going with that. But yeah, no, those teams, uh, the 2011 team, 2012 team, like that 2012 team was probably the best team that the Rangers had. Like it really was. It was, you had dominant pitching. You had the first year of you Darvish, the still the insane offense that had powered that 2011 team. Not quite the, the same level. Mike Napoli wasn't on as much of a ridiculous tear as he was the year before, but it was still a really good offensive team. And the Rangers lost because of the stupid one-game playoff, which I will never forgive. Great theater, but also um, horribly miserable for, for those who were <laughs> participating in it. If you have no dog in the fight, great. But uh, you know, as well as I do, um, it it hurts real bad when your team... Uh, well, I guess your team hasn't lost any of those games. They, they just won them. But um, you know how miserable it is to be in the middle of it. Um, but anyway, I am, I'm curious as to your thoughts on, um, on what you think uh, were some of the, the biggest flaws in Dayton Moore as a general manager. I know that we talked a little bit about it before, but, I mean, he got his ring, and uh, that's great and should be celebrated. But – Outside of those two World Series trips, the Royals didn't make the playoffs at all in 
any of his other years. Was that because of some, you know, colossal mishap, like, I don't know, a number one overall prospect uh, injuring his arm while sleeping and never being the same? Or, uh, you know, a guy who is the, the peak of durability in all of baseball, uh, just having a career-ending neck injury and retiring before he turned 32? Um, or was it just uh, he wasn't that great a GM? Just wasn't that great of a GM, to be completely honest with you. And it, it just wasn't that great of a small market GM, especially. Like, the Royals refused to make the moves that you have to make. Like, they refused to uh, make the, what I call, non-family-friendly moves. Like, it's it's easy to hold on to Whit Merrifield. Never, everybody's calling him two-hit Whit, and every little kid in the stands has his jersey, and he's on the Price Chopper commercials. But the bottom line is... Whit Merrifield did absolutely nothing in Kansas City. Didn't win anything. The, the team was not good enough to win anything whenever he was here. The Royals held on to him until this year in which he, A, made a fool of himself in the media where he just had to trade him because of the way that he handled the whole COVID vaccine thing. And B, he was having the worst year of his career statistically in every single category, both offensively and defensively. That's incredibly hard, folks, to have the worst, literally the worst, in literally every statistical category. Both sides of the plate you're having the worst you've ever had. That's pretty tough, but that's when they like to trade him. Not whenever he's playing at an all-star level, not whenever he's playing really well, but then they're going to trade him at that point whenever his value is absolutely nothing. It's just nothing. And so it was a classic case of that. Like the, the core of Moustakas, Haas, Merkane, I, I get not trading those guys in 2016. You just won a World Series. You need to celebrate it, whatever. 2017, though, in the, in, in the, at the trade deadline, Everyone knew this team was not good enough. They just they just weren't. They, they weren't there. They weren't good enough. You have to trade those guys. You cannot let them walk for nothing whenever you know you cannot pay them. You know you cannot re-sign them. You know that the Padres are going to swoop away Hosmer and the Brewers are going to swoop away Kane. You, you, you just have to trade them. And then, you know, even a move like, you know, Gordon versus Zobris. Like, who was the better player? Ben Zobris was the better player. Who did you re-sign? Alex Gordon. Other franchises and small market teams, if they're going to re-sign somebody, wouldn't do that necessarily. Like they wouldn't tra- they wouldn't just re-sign Gordon because he's the very best player of your uh, uh, of this generation, or like a fan favorite, I should say, of this generation. So it was just more of those family friendly moves and less of those let's win baseball games moves. Yeah, and I mean the thing that that really bothers me, and it seems like he's not done a great job of, is is drafting and developing talent. And that for all the things that I I really like John Daniels and really praised him for for doing well he made some pretty good moves um trade wise he you know he made the occasional stinker but i think more times than not he he did the right move and it paid off for the rangers but the thing that the rangers have not done well under his his watchful eye or really honestly pretty much any gm's watchful eye in this franchise history is draft and develop players well I mean, they got Elvis Andrews and Matt Harrison and Neftali Feliz all in that trade um, for Mark Teixeira to the Braves, and that's great. And they did a good job to develop those guys. Some of the guys in the later rounds, like uh, Ian Kinsler was, I believe, like a 20th or 30th or 82nd round pick, and he ended up being absolutely phenomenal. The Rangers have done a really good job of getting those guys in like the late, late rounds. And like, oh, this guy shouldn't have been even making it AAA, but he ended up having a pretty good major league career. But in the first round, in the early rounds, and uh, until, well, recent years, it's it's looking a little bit better. Still still not totally sold because none of them have really made it to the big leagues and started doing things yet outside of Josh Young, and he's only done that in 25 games, so I'm still pumping my brakes. But I think that was something that I would want if the Rangers were going to bring somebody in 
if they're going to make some wholesale changes in the front office as opposed to just look at me i'm stomping around i'm a big guy with some money so i'm going to fire this 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 john daniels guy who's been here and um for some reason gets a lot of hate from the fans because he wasn't nolan ryan um because yeah 70 year old nolan ryan was definitely the one running those 2010 teams not john daniels but anyway um i would rather have a guy uh, who knows how to draft and develop players on the margins well. That would be something this this team could use. And they didn't take that chance to go do that with James Click or, I don't know, somebody else. Like, just steal somebody from some organization that knows how to do that well. It's not a secret who they are. It's not a secret. Cleveland's really good at it. Milwaukee is pretty darn good at it. The Rays are excellent at it. The Dodgers, well, they're really good at it. But they, they did what you should do as a team in a bigger market with theoretically more money to just money whip some guys like yeah spending 325 million dollars on Corey Seager is good and you should do that but also less expensive but will pay bigger dividends I think is spending money on stealing GMs from the poor teams so that they can you know go to teams that will actually draft develop those players and then pay them to stay there and then you could beat those poor teams because they are poor and lose their good players for nothing I don't know. Maybe maybe that's too controversial. But that's just me. I'm simply built different. I think that that's the exact way to run a business whenever you're uh, whenever you have the luxury of doing so. So, yeah, you didn't get that guy though, Dayton Moore. You just didn't. He's a terrible drafter, terrible developer, uh, terrible GM. Great person though. Well, that's nice. It's it's nice to see him hiring great people. And it seems like Bruce Bochy is is great people. And you know, I don't know what kind of GM Chris Young is going to be. Um, we've seen a few things he's done a little bit differently than John Daniels. So clearly he has his own ideas, and I think that's great. I think some new ideas are good. Um, but I, I don't know where I was going with that. But uh, yeah, I would, I would like the one thing I, I will say for Chris Young. The one thing that he has done well is um, prove what kind of a salesman he is. Looking back in hindsight, I thought it was John Daniels that was the one that was. You know, sweet talking these these big money signings to come to Texas, and you know they were talking they were talking a whole lot the entire second half of last year, which was absolutely miserable because they were terrible in route to their first hundred loss season since the nineteen seventies, and they traded my large adult son Joseph Nicholas Gallo, and were just completely unwatchable in the second half, and they're like oh, yeah, this sucks, but we're going to go get a Corey Seager. We're going to get a Carlos Correa. We're going to be in the mix, and we're going to get one. I'm like, no, you're not. Why would anyone come here? And then they did. And he also talked Bruce Bochy out of not quite retirement. Um, he made very big point to say that. And he convinced him to come to this Rangers team that has not been to the playoffs since he was winning his most recent World Series, which is been a hot minute and so i think that he should have used that sweet talking power to sweet talk james click as opposed to dayton Moore. but i think just having an adult in the room because i mean chris young has only been in a front office for like two three years i think just like in a front office at all he worked in the you know commissioner's office for a little bit and i think that was helpful but it's different than actually running a team and while obviously I don't love the Dayton Moore hiring. Just having someone who literally knows how the sausage gets made of, okay, um, here's how you, um, as a professional, like prepare for the Rule 5 draft. And not that there weren't other guys in the room, but just having someone who's been in charge of it, I think, can be helpful. Um, I would just, 
just kind of wish it was someone else. And I'm going to keep whining about it until the Rangers go and, and make some big move and give me something else to talk about. Cause um, yeah, I am ready for those freaking winter pain, winter meetings. What about you? Yeah, that'll be fun to see all the, all the drama from the winter meetings. Yeah, there will definitely be a little bit. Do you think what, what kind of things are the, are the Royals even looking to do at this point? I mean, I know there's not a whole lot of uh, money to be spent, but uh, there is one, former Royals free agent that I wanted to talk to you about and pick your brain. Um, that is Andrew Benintendi. He had a pretty decent season with the Royals, a guy who plays left field and the Rangers. Well, if they're going to add one bat, it seems like they're going to add two starting pitchers and one bat. And the one spot that isn't pretty clearly locked in is left field. And I'm, I'm wondering what you thought of Andrew Benintendi's season. And I think there's like an $18 million average annual value is what he's projected to make something in like the three years, whatever three times 18 is. I'm not doing that math off the top of my head. Cause it'll be wrong. Uh, $54 million, I think. Um, but w- would you, if you were a team with money, would you consider adding him to, to your team? Did you like what he brought to the Royals this year? Yeah. I, I love what he had with Kansas city this year. Uh, and, and if, if, you had the money to spend, I would do it. I, I think that it is it is a guy that can uh, play well on both ends, you know, defensively, offensively. Also, I, I just think that his bat is pretty replicable. The only thing is, uh, I wonder how much the ballpark factor matters in the sense of not a huge home run guy, like was, was going to shoot the gaps a lot, which is obviously easy in Coffin Stadium, or at least easier in Coffin Stadium than most stadiums. Uh, that, that's interesting. What I, What I would say is, if you had the money, meaning as long as this was isn't going to tie you up in the sense of you can't do anything else, like if you sign him, you can't do anything else, then I'd do it. If he's going to be the guy that you sign and then you go, okay, now we're tapped out because now we've got him, now we've got Seeger, now we've got you know Simeon, we, it, it's too much, it's too much. Don't let him push you over, but if you're comfortable, I'd sign it because I think that you'd, you'd just be hard-pressed to find somebody at that level of production, especially with more protection in the lineup. His Yankee career, he got hurt, and it was just a awkward time in New York for him. Uh, looking at his Kansas City career, he had absolutely no protection in the lineup, no help at all. And uh, I think that whenever you put him in the lineup that has some help, he can get even better. So I, I like Andrew Benintendi a lot, and I like what he did in Kansas City. Yeah, I think yeah, I think that would be the case with the Rangers. I mean, obviously, you know, priorities one through seventeen are starting pitching, starting pitching, and then oh yeah, get some more starting pitching. So I think um, they're probably going to spend big on one of those big three. Um, and the Rangers right now are kind of in the lower tier, lower to mid tier of uh, payroll, and they have a lot to spend. So I, I mean, throw like I think they're going to add somewhere around like. 60 to maybe 80 million in payroll this year. So yeah, like 17 to him. I think what you're talking about in the line of protection, he would not be in the Rangers top three. He would not be batting cleanup. I don't even think he'd be batting fifth. He might be the sixth or seventh hitter. And if this guy is your sixth or seventh hitter, and I think one of the things that he does really well that it plays the type of baseball that you like is the, you know, you know, putting the ball in play and uh, turn the lineup over. And we saw that, I mean, the Yankees lineup and the ALCS, they were they were bomb or nothing. And the Rangers' top three isn't really like that, but kind of in the middle of the order, it seems like they're going to be a little bit more like that. And Adolis Garcia, he gets really, really big hits, like really big hits. But, you know, he doesn't put the ball in play as much. His on-base isn't as high. And it seems like Andrew Benintendi is a guy who you would, if you have a pretty deep lineup, then putting him towards the back end of it to kind of help, you know, turn the lineup over and get, you know, 
keep the inning alive to get to those top three hitters, which are really darn good, then I think that would be an ideal role that he's suited to, would you say? Yeah, I think so. And if you do add him defensively, the Rangers have basically three gold glovers in the outfield, and that would be um, pretty fun. Their infield defense is um, sus, to put it mildly, outside of Marcus Simeon. But uh, the outfield defense, I know you like defense, and so you might want to watch if the Rangers get someone like him, or even if they have Bubba Thompson, who is uh, a joy to watch in the outfield. You might want to enjoy watching some Rangers baseball. But uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Ryland, thank you for joining me in the Dayton Moore trash talk session that this turned into. Um, Thank you all so much for making Locked On Rangers and Locked On Royals your first listen of the day for your next listen. Check out the Locked On Sports Today podcast, the biggest stories of the day, the biggest games, plus instant reaction game recaps, and the take of the day available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcast. Thank you all so much for listening and subscribing. And until next time, don't forget to enjoy baseball.